everybody. Welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well. Been off since Monday. It's a bit of a, a hectic week here, but we are back today. We're going to talk two podcasts coming over the next uh, couple of hours. In this first podcast, we're going to talk about Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the NHL over the last little while. We're going to preview a pay-per-view in the UFC this weekend in Abu Dhabi, which is shaping up to be fantastic. So we're going to talk about that. Then later on today, we'll talk about NFL, college football, the gambling lines. And uh, we'll also talk about Jags, New Orleans last night on Thursday night football. So two podcasts coming out today. We'll get back on a better schedule next week, but it was just a little uh, everywhere uh this week, but we'll get, we'll be, I promise I'll be better, uh, this coming week. So today, major league baseball, Texas Rangers go into Houston and win two games, which pretty impressive. You think, okay, they win both games in Houston. You're heading back to Arlington. They have this series wrapped up. They've taken home field. They have the momentum. There's nothing the Astros can do. Well, the Astros had the best road record in baseball over the course of the regular season. And they found their way. Game three, Texas throws out the warrior god, Max Scherzer. He gets lit up by the Houston Astros. Doesn't go through four innings. And they win the game comfortably. Brings us to game four with Jose Urquidy going up against Andrew Heaney. Well, Heaney didn't get through the first inning. He gives up three earned runs. And yet Texas claw back, Corey Seager with another home run. Their best players pulling through. But at the end of the day, the pitching for Texas was not as good. Their bullpen leaked a little bit. And in the key moments, the Astros' best players were their best players. Scoring 10 runs in Texas last night. Jordan Alvarez hit a ball. He nearly hit a grand slam inches away, but he flies out to center, scores Maldonado, that makes it a 4-3 Houston lead. Next batter, Jose Abreu, crushes a ball 428 feet. His fifth home run of the postseason, 36 years old. First half of the year, he had six home runs. He has five in the postseason. Alvarez is batting over 400. Abreu has been a godsend. Altuve is starting to find his game. And the Astros have belief. They've been through these wars. They know what they're like. And now, home field is back in their favor. It's a best of three. Two games in Houston. One game in Texas, that is tonight, 
or late afternoon, however you want to frame it. Texas, they're on the ropes a little bit. And yet, you look at Texas's pitching and you go, they get Montgomery tonight, who you could argue has been as good or better than any pitcher this postseason. They will pitch Nathan Eovaldi in Game 6 on Sunday, who hasn't lost a start, who's got a, a fabulous earned run average. He's gone at least six and a third in every start so far this postseason. And if you go to a Game 7, which will be on Monday in Houston, you could turn back to Max Scherzer. And although he's not been a great postseason pitcher over the last number of years, he is Max Scherzer, and he is a World Series champion. So you could Verlander, Valdez, and then Christian Javier, you would still lean towards Texas in that pitching matchup. For Bruce Bochy and the Texas Rangers, they need to grab a lead tonight. They need to jump on them, and they are better when they are front-running. They made it 3-3 last night, and you think, okay, they're back in it. Maybe they can get this game at home. But Houston just came up with more clutch hits. Texas has the potential to have the bats that, that will go off, that will be fantastic. We've seen it with the likes of Evan Carter and Corey Seager and Josh Young. They've had guys step up. They've had hotter bats than the Phillies at certain points in the postseason. So it is there for them. And while Houston lost both games to Texas at home, and they lost one game at home to the Minnesota Twins in the divisional round, I still believe Texas needs to win this game tonight. They cannot lose all three games in Arlington. I picked Texas to win the series. I'm not going to back off of that prediction. I believe they're just a slightly better team. Both teams are very good. What Houston has done, seven straight championship series, being down 2 nothing, then winning two straight in Texas, they don't quit. They have that championship DNA. They have bullpen arms that have been in these situations. And minus Araldis Chapman for the Texas Rangers, they don't really have it. Not to mention, Texas is going to Dane Dunning, Martin Perez, starting pitchers out of the bullpen, which you can do in the postseason, but I would argue it's not all that effective. Tex, uh, Houston, pardon me, have this pitcher named Hunter Brown. He had a 5.09 ERA in the regular season, and he started a lot of games. But in the month of September, they stopped starting him and they put him in the bullpen. And you're thinking, okay, why'd they do that? To prepare him for these situations. He came into the game last night, Hunter Brown, pitched three innings, two hits, two strikeouts, 
zero earned runs. He has a 1.8 ERA for the postseason. He's done what they've asked him to do. He's only 25 years old. Martin Perez has been a starting pitcher all year long. He's hardly been used in the postseason. Dean Dunning, starting pitcher. Hasn't been good in the postseason. 7.71 ERA in four and two-thirds innings. So if it's a depth thing, Houston will win. Because Stanek and Phil Matone and Neris and Bobby Abreu, Ryan Presley, their closer, have all been there, done that. They did it this time last year when they won the World Series. To me, even though Justin Verlander is a member of the Houston Astros, World Series champion, and Framber Valdez is a member of the Houston Astros, World Series champion, the Texas Rangers have better starting pitching at this point. Valdez has not been good in his postseason starts. While the two guys slated to go in Game 5 and Game 6 absolutely have been. To me, Texas, I don't like their chances in a Game 7 if it gets pushed to that on Monday. It gives the vibe to me when the Houston Astros played the Dodgers, it was Game 7 at Chavez Ravine in 2017. And you Darvish got the ball in Game 7. And he was a complete disaster because his arm was falling off. He was showing signs of having fatigue, and the Astros crushed them in the deciding game in L.A. Scherzer's an older pitcher. Scherzer's not the same guy anymore. He missed the last month and change of the season with an injury. So expecting him to come into Game 7 and to be the hero and to give them a great outing, I don't think that's a smart bet. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they should expect that to happen. These two teams are very close. Very close. I mean, Altuve's played 100 career postseason games now. He's rising on the all-time ranks. Corey Seager as well, playing a lot of postseason baseball in Los Angeles. I maintain whoever wins this series is going to have an uphill battle against the National League winner, who I think will be the Phillies. But you want to get there. You want to have a 50% chance. The Astros win this series. They will have home field in the World Series. Which is quite staggering. <laughs> the Phillies could potentially have, uh, sorry, the Rangers could hypothetically have home field in the World Series if the Diamondbacks were to upset the Phillies. So both these American League teams have the potential to have home field. So you never know what's going to happen. But Houston has just kind of punched Texas in the mouth, sent a message, we're not going away, we're still a very good team, we're the World Series champs, 
What are you going to do about it? And basically, Texas has to answer that question tonight and on Sunday. There's not a pitcher that I wouldn't want if you're down 3-2 other than Eovaldi in these playoffs. He's been fantastic. But you don't want to be down 3-2 in a a series-clinching Game 6 in Houston. Not ideal. Not the situation you want to be in. I picked the Rangers to win the series. I think the Rangers will win tonight at home. Maybe the the good fortune will finally wear off of Jordan Montgomery. Nobody, I don't even think the Texas Rangers expected him to be this good when they acquired him from the St. Louis Cardinals. To be their de facto ace in the postseason. To be great in every single one of his starts. Does that wear off for him? We shall see, but it's a huge game tonight in Texas. Series tied at two. Who will land the next body blow? The other championship series, the Diamondbacks are on the board. Cattell Marte walked off the Phillies last night in a pitching duel. Brandon Papp was fantastic for Arizona. The manager was then criticized online for removing him from the game. Turned out to be the right decision. Turned out that the guys that came in, like Thompson, Ginkle, Sawald, all were fantastic. And you look at the heroes... For Arizona, Cattell Marte went three for five last night. A veteran who has been really good. Cor- Corbin Carroll has not had a good series. He's batting under 100 for the series. But how about Lourdes Gurriel Jr., former Toronto Blue Jay? Two for three last night with an RBI and a walk. Ended up scoring the winning run. Him alongside Pavin Smith, who pinched hit last night, went two for two. He was hot. They need to use him in game four. They were really the difference makers because the Phillies just didn't have that good of a night. They didn't allow Bryce Harper to beat them for once. He walked twice in four at-bats. Trey Turner went one for four. Schwarber struck out three times. Castellanos went 0 for 3. Real Muto went 0 for 3. Arizona's throwing a lot of off speed pitches, not throwing a first pitch fastball that you know the Phillies are going to want to jump on. To me, Arizona just changed their approach because I thought they approached the first two games as stupid as you possibly could. Throwing fastballs to Schwarber right down the middle on the first pitch. How about having a guy on base or two guys on base where it's two outs? Why not just walk Bryce Harper? Put him on. Okay, bases are loaded. I'll take my chances with anybody not named Bryce Harper right now. 
Alec Baum, sure. Alec Baum can't ground out. No, let's pitch to Bryce Harper, two outs. Okay, single, he drives in a run. The inning keeps going. Just the the, the circumstances and the, the, the way they approach the strategy of the game just did not line up for me. It did not make much sense. And also, you are the inferior team to the Phillies, so you're not as good. You're strategizing poorly. You're going to lose those games, point blank. But they get a moment from their players. Their manager trusted in his decisions. And now they have life. And they're getting good crowds in, uh, in Arizona. You have home field for the next two games. And here's the thing with the Phillies. If you're going to look at something that they don't do well. You love Aaron Nola. You love Zach Wheeler. They're both awesome studs, can win you a game whenever you need it. Ranger Suarez, who I did not expect to pitch that well last night, was as good as the Phillies could have asked him to be, quite frankly. Five and a third for a guy like him, that's a good performance. Three hits, one walk, but he did not allow any earned runs. But after their top two guys, their starting pitching leaves a lot to be desired. Christopher Sanchez will pitch tonight for the Phillies against Joe Mantemplee for Arizona. They might just do a bullpen game for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Phillies starting pitcher gets weaker and weaker. For Arizona, make hay while you can. Because tomorrow, Zach Wheeler gets back on the mound. And yes, it'll be Zach Gallen for Arizona, who's awesome. But Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler, and he's been in these big moments and he's proven it time and time again. Philly's bats go quiet for a night. They could continue to. It happened to Texas, you could argue. They have not been productive over the last little while. They did score five runs on Wednesday. But the Astros have scored 18 runs in the last two games. The Phillies. (laughs) Phillies scored 18 runs in their first two games, oddly enough. So you're talking about two buzzsaws, and both went a little bit quiet. Over the last little while. I still believe the Philadelphia Phillies are the best team remaining. The Diamondbacks got a game. It was a great moment. It makes it a series which makes it more interesting. But with Harper. And their pitching. And just the belief in that locker room after losing last year. I don't doubt this team. And I'm not even sure we get another game in Philadelphia before the World Series. I think the Phillies are going to win today in Arizona. I think the Phillies are going to win tomorrow in Arizona. They'll finish it off, punch their ticket to the World Series, and wait 
for their opponent. Whether it'll be the Texas Rangers or they will rematch with the team that beat them last year, the Houston Astros. Bryce Harper has made these playoffs interesting. His personality, the way he goes about his business, everything is awesome with him. And he's pushing the needle. He's pushing it forward, keeping baseball on the map. Credit to him because that's not an easy job. Baseball playoffs are ongoing. There's still a lot to be decided when it comes to baseball. The the Mets have a managerial opening. The Angels. The Red Sox don't have a manager opening, but they also they do need a new GM. The uh, San Francisco Giants need to hire a new manager. So we're not a whole lot of chatter about who's going to get these jobs, but if anybody has been interviewing. So, so what to happen in baseball? I don't know. To me, the job that would interest me the most of those, San Francisco, you think you can draw some free agents. It's a good market. The Mets job, I don't know if I want to work for Steve Cohen. Spends a lot of money, but that doesn't mean you're going to have a good team. And if he spends a lot of money and you get the players you don't like, then you get blamed because I spent all this money, got all these good players. The Angels, no thanks. I don't think Otani's going back. And there's also that question mark of where's he going to go when the playoffs are over? Who's going to sign him? Which market will he be in next year? Is he going to be a Dodger? Since the Dodgers lost, there's no chatter about Dave Roberts. Seems like he'll return as their manager, which I don't think he necessarily deserved to be fired by. I thought there'd be some chat about it. He's been there a long time. One World Series in his tenure, and it was during the COVID year, which 60-game season. You're gonna, like, you talked about the NBA bubble, the NHL. If there was any asterisks on a championship, it would certainly be that one in Major League Baseball. You missed 100 games in the regular season to decide it. But the postseason's been good. There's also the Marlins with Kim Ang, who left the team after they wanted to hire a president to usurp her role. She would stay on as GM, but she would not have full control, not have full autonomy to make baseball decisions. After getting the Marlins to the postseason for only the third time in franchise history. They made it during the COVID year, but I'm not counting that. Full 162-game seasons, the Miami Marlins have only made it to the playoffs three times as a franchise. And crazy enough, two of the three, they won the World Series. But they want to bring in a president 
to usurp her, and she quits. Which I applaud her for doing that, because that takes a lot, a lot of gumption. A lot of courage to being the only female GM in Major League Baseball. But she just led a team to the postseason. I'm sure there's interest in Kim Ang. But I'll tell the Marlins, Bruce Sherman, who owns the team, you best make a smart hire as your next GM. Because you just had a woman there who got you to the postseason. And as I'll just repeat this, the franchise has made it three times to the postseason in the history of the team being around. Three times. Bruce Sherman bought the team a few years ago from Derek Jeter. So he's made the postseason one time as an owner. David Sampson, Jeffrey Loria, they won World Series. They didn't have a whole lot of success outside the World Series, obviously. But at least they won a ring. They brought a championship to Miami. A team that doesn't spend a whole lot of money, a team that's not been consistent, has not been good, does not draw great attendance. You're going to fire somebody who's made you competitive, that's made you relevant, that made it's a team you want to go see play. Interesting decision. I don't think it's smart. I hope Kim Ang gets another job, though. I'll tell you that. I hope she gets a good one. I think the Red Sox job would be a good one. They recently fired High and Bloom. Fenway Sports Group owns the Boston Red Sox. They also own the Pittsburgh Penguins and Liverpool and a bunch of other stuff. They gave Kyle Dubas a lot of money to go run the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they give him the flexibility to do a lot. Go trade for Eric Carlson. Go try to make this team better right away. You're telling me they're not going to do that with the Boston Red Sox because the Red Sox are their top property. The Penguins are in there, and Liverpool's cool because you own a soccer team. You can go over to Europe and hobnob with Ryan Reynolds and LeBron and other people who own soccer teams over there more and more by the day from North America. But the Red Sox are their baby, so to speak. It's what means the most to that group. And the Red Sox haven't been a very good team over the last number of years. They haven't spent a whole lot of money on payroll. They traded Mookie Betts. They fired their manager, then brought him back. It it was a whole lot of scandals. But then you could look look back and you win the World Series in 04 and then you win another one a few years later and you win one in 20 what was it 2013 you win another one in 28 2018 the Red Sox have had a hell of a run you compare that run to the New York Yankees it's polar opposites the Yankees have done nothing but compete but not win the Red Sox are going to allow you to spend money The Red Sox, I think, give more authority to Alex Cora 
than most of these businesses do. You look at the Blue Jays. You look at the Seattle Mariners for an example. These teams are so run by analytics. They are so run by computers and data. And this is when a pitcher has to come out. And this, and there's no feel. And it can get you so far, but it will never lead you to a World Series, in my humble opinion. The Red Sox believe in Alex Cora because he cheated with the Astros and then they fired him and then brought him back the second they could. The crop of free agents this summer are not awesome. I don't think Shohei Otani is going to go to the Boston Red Sox. That would be a stone-cold stunner. But in free agency in any sport, it doesn't matter really what your market is if you're willing to put up the most money. And when it comes to baseball, Boston's a good market. You could go, Cincinnati's not a good market for baseball. Well, it would be if they were willing to spend money. They just don't spend money. So they have to prop up young talent. They're a low payroll team. All these small markets wouldn't be considered small markets are non-destinations if you spent the money to be in the cool kids club. But either you don't have it or you're not willing to spend it. So you you throw up the white flag of, oh, we're a small market. We don't We don't have the money. So you can tell fans that when you don't draw the big free agent. But the, we talked about the Miami Marlins. They're not a big market, but Giancarlo Stanton played there for a decade in Miami. He re-signed. He signed a huge contract. Why did he stay in Miami? Because they gave him a boatload of money to play there. Joey Votto's an interesting cat, but he played his entire career in Cincinnati. He's a Toronto kid. He liked it, and they gave him the money. They go hand in hand. I'll never understand why the Boston Red Sox did not pay Mookie Betts, did not give him a contract. I still think it's staggering that they did not do it. It, it, To me, it's, it's, it's a decision that you cannot defend, and it's part of the reason why Chaim Bloom was fired. And maybe Fenway Sports Group did not give him the right to give out the contract, but I find that hard to believe because they paid Devers a boatload of money this past offseason to be the face of the Boston Red Sox moving forward. They didn't re-sign Xander Bogarts. That was a smart decision. Xander Bogarts, those knees, that body, how long is it going to hold up? They don't want to be around to see when it breaks. But the Red Sox don't have a whole lot of big salaries on their payroll. If they didn't sign Chris Sale, Trevor Story, to stupid contracts, in particular Trevor Story, which made no sense because they had a shortstop, He's hardly played in two years. He bats under 200. He's a complete waste. 
but you don't have those two contracts eating you down. This team has the flexibility to do whatever the hell they want. And I've been I've been to only two uh, different stadiums. Fenway Park is as good as it gets. Haven't been to Wrigley yet. It's on my bucket list. But Fenway is awesome. The history of the team, the legacy. Traffic sucks in Boston, but traffic sucks everywhere. I don't know if they'll hire Kimang. Reportedly, James Click, who used to be a member of the Houston Astros organization, who now works for the Blue Jays, withdrew his name from consideration for that job. Would have been funny if he reunited with Alex Cora, them both working in Houston for parts of their careers. But baseball is quiet about that, but a lot of these guys are going to... The Red Sox used to employ Theo Epstein, who now works for Major League Baseball, and he's trying to improve the game day in, day out. And certainly the changes this year have improved baseball. I've enjoyed baseball this season more than I have in the last decade plus. The product's better. It's more entertaining, more steals, everything. It's the product's better. So I applaud Theo for doing that. But you're telling me the Red Sox wouldn't want to bring Theo Epstein back? To be their president? To make this team relevant again? Because Baltimore is really good. And Toronto, for all their faults, have built a team that is kind of like their hockey team. Will get you to the playoffs every year consistently but you don't expect much of them when they get there. But you're going to get to the playoffs, and it's taking up a spot from a team like the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. The Yankees-Red Sox powerhouses, quote-unquote, in the sport are lagging. The Yankees' Hal Steinbrenner said he's going to. there's big changes coming to New York. And yet, I don't think he's going to fire Brian Cashman, and I don't think he's going to fire Aaron Boone as the manager. Aaron Boone got ejected more than any manager in baseball this year. Brian Cashman is a good executive, and if he was fired, he would be hired by another team rather quickly. However, you built a team full of sluggers that have no on-base percentage, that hit nothing but home runs, hit into double plays more than any team in baseball, and have spent crazy money on pitchers like Frankie Montas, who did not pitch an inning this year, like Carlos Rodon, who had an over 10 ERA, that were just complete disasters, uh, complete whiffs. The way they built their team, it was easy to predict to me. I looked at the team and said, they're missing the postseason. Of course I got it right. It was the easiest thing to see. This team's not a World Series contender. This team's not threatening. They're built completely wrong. And a lot of those same guys are coming back. Okay, we have Aaron Judge. He's our new captain, whatever the hell that means. Press release. First captain since Derek Jeter. Who gives a shit other than Yankees fans? Do they even care? 
Do fans of bad teams, do you care who your captain is? If your team stinks, does it make you feel better that you have a captain that is nice, warm, and cuddly? You can wrap your arms around. He's our captain. He's such a great guy. Who? Okay. Was it was it better for Leafs fans all those years when you lost game after game because you had Matt Sundin as your captain? I like Matt's, but who cares? You're losing. Montreal, we got Nick Suzuki now. We love him. Lovable character. Nice guy. You're getting crushed. But he's a really nice guy. I don't care. Aaron Judge is one of the best players in baseball. But you're not winning, to quote Tommy Callahan, Jack squat if you don't have a good team around him. The Los Angeles, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are case in point to that fact. So you look ahead and you see the postseason and the four teams that are left. And the only big market team that you could really say is left is Philly. Because I don't think Houston would be considered a large market team. But the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox... How many of these teams going to get better? San Francisco? How many of those teams that missed this year are going to make the playoffs next year? Because you can only make so many changes, and when you have a whole lot of money already on your payroll, I don't care how rich the owner is, he doesn't want to spend stupid money if he doesn't have to. Steve Cohen... Spending that kind of money this year to not even get close to the postseason have to sell? He's not happy about that. And if that strategy didn't work this year, you're just going to put more money on it? Let's act, let's act like Joker in the Dark Knight and throw a whole bunch of money in a pile and just keep putting more and more. At the end of the day, it's, you're just going to light it on fire because it's not getting you anywhere. You're running into a wall, and the wall will win every time. So baseball is in an interesting, interesting position where these small market teams are in a better situation to win because they're not giving out the stupid contracts. Baltimore, the Marlins, they're going to be competitive. The Blue Jays have been competitive because they haven't played Vladdy, haven't played Bo yet. It gives you flexibility, if you want it, to play around and see what you can do with your roster. Move pieces in, take them out. Texas is the outlier because they're paying Jacob deGrom to not play. Tommy John surgery. He's going to be our savior. We're bringing him in, and yet they're two games away from the two wins away from the World Series. And Jacob Degrom has not been on the mound since May. That's impressive. That's just kind of a deep dive into baseball and where things stand. Because there will be teams that miss this year that will make it next year. There is in every sport. You know it's going to happen. But the Seattle Mariners missed by one game. And I think the Seattle Mariners are a better team than the New York Yankees. We got to go through the offseason 
And maybe the Yankees can make some moves and they'll improve their team. And they'll get younger and they'll get more flexibility. But Seattle's a good team already. Maybe Baltimore will spend it a couple bucks on some starting pitchers. And they'll actually be competitive in the postseason because they'll have some guys that can go. Not name Dean Kramer. Teams that are already here will get better. A team we don't see, the White Sox, they've they turned it around. Easier in the American League, I would argue, because the American League Central is awful. But for San Francisco, it's your time to strike. Can you land a free agent? Can you land some good players? Because the Dodgers are like a wounded animal. They're in the woods. They got a bullet hole in them. And they're running, hoping to find some survival. Hoping to find somebody with a med kit. Because if they don't, they're going to bleed out. They're getting Walker Bueller back. But Urias, Kershaw, Gonsolin, Dustin May, all gone. Gives you the flexibility to improve it, but also gives you the option that, hey, we're going to get a new manager. We couldn't get Correa. We couldn't get Judge. We couldn't keep Gosman. Can we get Choi Otani in the Bay Area? We'd have Otani, Steph Curry. The Bay Area would be bumping. But we got Game 5, Texas, Houston. Six Atlantic time, nine o'clock, Philly, Arizona, game four. We'll talk about baseball on Monday, but that's just some thoughts that I had over the last couple of days. Speaking of attendance, so we're talking about attendance a little while ago and Teams that don't draw like the Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays. Some of you heard this. The Winnipeg Jets had 11,000 people at their game on Tuesday against the Los Angeles Kings. Los Angeles Kings are a good team. Have looked strong to start out the year. So you think that's a that's a good meal ticket to begin with. But then you go, okay, this game is even more interesting. Because Pierre-Luc Dubois, the guy who wanted out of Winnipeg the second he landed there, the guy that wouldn't re-sign, said it about a year and a half ago, and basically forced his way out this offseason and would only go to Los Angeles, is returning for the first time. And only 11,000 people went to the game. Not good. Not good. The Winnipeg Jets have already lost a team.
they had to bring it back. Attendance was great, sellouts, but the team isn't that good. Last night, last night they had a little over 12,000. That's no good. Am I watching UFC 294? Yes, I am. We'll be talking about it uh, here shortly. But yes, I'll be watching it tomorrow. This, to me, it's hard to see a, a team in Canada, 11,000 people at a hockey game, the 12,000 next game with the Jets played the LA Kings and the defending Stanley Cup champions who beat them in the first round. But we get 11,000 and 12,000 people. Those are good tickets. Those are awesome games. You get to see your Winnipeg Jets play the best team in hockey, which is the Vegas Golden Knights. And 12,000 people show up. Staggering. Staggering to me that that's what they drew. The team lost both games, which won't help attendance. The Winnipeg Jets are still trying to figure out who they are. You add Ayafalo, you add Rasmus Kupar, you add Gabriel Velarde, who got injured on Tuesday night. I thought he tore his ACL. I was watching the game live, and... He had this weird collision. He grabbed his knee right away. Thankfully, not a torn ACL, not a torn MCL, just an uh, MCL sprain. So he'll miss the next month at least, possibly six weeks. But that's a big loss for the Winnipeg Jets. He's an important player on their team. But the Winnipeg Jets re-signed Hellebuck, re-signed Shifley. That's supposed to be... A positive that's supposed to be let's keep people in the rank, let's keep people entertained, keep our hopes up of being a competitive team. Oddly enough, I think it had the adverse effect. I think it signaled to Winnipeg Jets fans that we are going to stay with who we were. We're keeping Shifley. We're keeping Hellebuck. Sure, Blake Wheeler is gone, the, the cancer of the locker room, if you will. But Shifley and Hellebuck have been here for a long time. And yeah, we made a conference final where we got swept by the Anaheim Ducks. We played the Vegas Golden Knights and we got stomped in that series. So we've had some good moments with these guys, but they're both 30 years old. The rest of the team, really, other than Morrissey, Connor, a lot of guys are still trying to figure out who they are as NHL players. What's, what is Alex Iafolo? What's his ceiling? What's his role? Who is Rasmus Kupari? Who is Mason Appleton? So it's a team full of set veterans who know what they are, what, what they expect of themselves, and guys who can either 
grow or diminish who they are based on how the season goes and the way they're utilized. So it's a team that really, I think, is struggling to figure out where they want to go. Are we progressing forward with the hopes of winning? Or are we progressing slash falling back knowing that our team does not have the experience and our players need to have these reps to figure out who they are, who they want to be at the NHL level? I think the Dubois trade was a good one. I'm going to remain steadfast on that. But the Winnipeg Jets are not going to be a playoff team to me. I don't know if the season's going to be that good. You're drawing that few home fans. It's likely not going to be that good. Kyle Connor has not had a great start to the season. He's been an invisible player if you've watched the Jets. Nate Schmidt, a longtime NHLer, was a healthy scratch last night. They have the same defense that they had last year. Similar group up front. I don't think that's a win, personally. Can they compete in the Central Division? Yes. But not with the top dogs. Not with the Colorados of the world who still haven't lost a game. They're a well-old machine. McKinnon looks great. So does Rantanen. Makar is the stud of studs. And Georgiev has been very good between the pipes. I picked them to win the cup. I think they're extremely dangerous. I would say Vegas is the best team in the NHL currently, however. That's a battle all year long. Dallas, really good team. We think about these. The West is a much scarier conference than the East to me. Because I look at the West to get to the Stanley Cup final. We're just looking at broad strokes. You have to beat Vegas. You have to beat Colorado. You have to beat Dallas. You have to get by a Minnesota team, which is not fun to play against. Even though we'll get to the Oilers, who have been a disaster in their first four games, you have to beat them. That's no picnic. In the East, who scares you in the East? I made this point before the year, and I think it's becoming more and more apparent. There's Carolina, I think, is a very good team. They've had a weird start. They've had a, a tough go to start. They had to go out west after their home opener against the Ottawa Senators. Go on a West Coast road trip the second the season starts. Like go L.A., which weird scheduling, but nevertheless, they'll be fine. Not worried about them. They got crushed by the Kraken last night. The Kraken who got their first win. Carolina is very good. I still think Toronto's a good team. We're going to talk about them. They have left a lot to be desired. They have a lot of holes on that team. I mean, Ottawa's had a hot start, and I like the Senators. I think they're a playoff team for sure. But the Senators aren't a cup contender. They just aren't. I don't trust that team to do it yet. They They haven't made the playoffs since 2017. Make the playoffs. Maybe you'll prove it to me throughout the year. But they have a lot, a long way to go here. 
they got to play 78 games. Play 78 games, make the playoffs, then you can be in a conversation. Tampa's good. Tampa has had a weird start as well. They they miss Vasilevsky, obviously, and, and they've, they've had some games where they don't have the intensity that you'd want. They stuck out a win last night against uh, Vancouver. Their power play is fantastic. That's one thing I'll say about them. But when their best players are their best players, they're a dangerous team. But do they have the depth? Do they have the pieces to go deep again? I doubt it. Florida's missing guys. I still think Florida's a good team. They were counted out from the kind of from the beginning. A lot of prognosticators had them missing the playoffs. I didn't really understand that. But the East is full of teams that don't really scare you. Like Boston's 3-0, but they haven't played any good teams yet. They play uh, Chicago, Anaheim, and San Jose. Like three West Coast teams to start the year and three of the worst teams in hockey. So I want to see them play a quality opponent. I want to see them go up and, and see how they look. They play, they play the Kings Saturday night. That's an interesting game. Because no team in hockey has better center depth than the Los Angeles Kings with Dano, Kopitar, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. So we'll see how Boston looks against them with Charlie Coyle. That's one of the games of the weekend for me. So... I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a tough go for the Jets, and it's it's an interesting. The conferences are an interesting dynamic right now. Edmonton Oilers, one and three start. They're great against Nashville, but again, Nashville ugh, they won in New York last night. But that tells you more about the Rangers who. Ugh. Rangers. But you go into Philly, who have who are off to a three and one start, which is just that's that's how the season goes. You have a team like Philly's three and one. They beat you beat Vancouver and you beat the Oilers and you look you look good. Cam Atkinson, Sean Couturier, two I'm happy for those guys. But Philly's three and one, the Oilers are one and three. And the Oilers deserve to be one and three, quite frankly. Last night was not Jack Campbell's fault. He wasn't great, but he wasn't the problem. That team had no life, no fight, didn't have any. They didn't want to be there in Philadelphia. They played uninspired hockey, including McDavid, I'll add. He played 18 minutes. Last night. 
He hasn't looked that good in the first couple games, quite frankly. Not that dynamic. Dreisaitl has been their best player. But minus him, their defensive woes, playing in their own zone. Darnell Nurse, a guy I defend, hasn't been very good, unfortunately, and I like him. But they just don't look like, like they're ready to play. When games start, they don't look like they want to play. They did in Nashville, but then you go to Philly and you play pathetic hockey. Nothing to the game. Like, it doesn't mean a damn thing. Now they head home to play the Jets. The Jets, who have lost a number of games in a row. They've lost two straight. And the Oilers drop an ugly one in Philadelphia. Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. I just want to see the Oilers play an inspired game. Make it seem like it matters. This team needs a switch. Just wake up. I look at a guy like Darnell Nurse. Maybe Hyman, but that's not usually his angle. DeHarnay. There's not, there's not many tough guys left in the league. But Darnell Nurse will throw and he's a tough guy. Go challenge Adam Lowry to a fight on the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night. In the first period, drop the gloves, and it's your the Oilers' first home game since they played Vancouver. And you lost your home opener. Go start a fight. Do something, change the momentum, get the crowd into it early, and just change the way the season has gone so far. You're stuck in the mud. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Do something to change that narrative. And I just, to me, that's what that would be my approach. Because Jay Woodcroft and the players can say after the game, it's just not excusable. I don't know what we were doing last night. But there's only so many games that you can you can throw out that line, and it keeps happening before you have to make a change. In your four games into the season, I get it. They have a lot of time. There's 78 games left. But you don't want that to be your president. This Oilers team has to be better. They haven't played tough competition yet. Vancouver twice didn't make the playoffs. Philly didn't make the playoffs last year. And Nashville. I don't think any of those four teams are going to be playoff teams this year. And then you get the Jets on Saturday, who we just talked about, not to be a playoff team. So five games start the year, no playoff teams out of the five. You got to win those. Points are important. Vegas Golden Knights in your conference are 5-0. and <laughs> They don't lose a whole lot. They don't lose in Vegas. No Stanley Cup hangover. They get into a tight game with the Jets, but they find a way to win it. Jack Eichel goes top shelf in the power play to seal the win. Mark Stone looks really good to start the season. Shea Theodore's back, healthy. Three assists last night for the Golden Knights. So many options. 
The Kings, they're 2-1-1. One one. Had a slow start, but they won two straight. They crushed the Minnesota Wild last night. And uh, Adrian Kempe hasn't even woken up yet. Trevor Moore's got four goals to start the year. Wait till the LA Kings really start playing well. They're a scary team. Or they get a goaltender. Toronto Maple Leafs dropped their second straight last night to the Florida Panthers. Close game. Either team could have won, I would argue. It's just both teams had their chances. Florida scored a pair of quick goals in the first period from high screens, and they got by Samson off, but I thought that was his overall his best game of the season so far. So I don't think he was good in either of the first two. For the Toronto Maple Leafs, they do not have any depth that are playing well behind their top guys. To me, Bill Nylander's been fantastic through four games. Austin Matthews has been great. He's been a great add to the penalty kill. They need to continue to put him out there. He's a force when he's when he is on the ice. He eliminates scoring opportunities for the opposition and creates them for the Maple Leafs. So he's fantastic at that role. He's really dived into it, and he deserves applause for that. But other than Matthews, Nylander, Marner had his best game out of the four last night. They're getting nothing from their bottom six. Matthew Nyes gets promoted to play with Tavares and Nylander, which you could argue that's a quick, it's really quick to put him up there. But Max Domi's been awful through four games. I don't think he knows what the hell he's doing. He brings a puck in the middle of the ice. He just turns it over right away. He doesn't want the pucks like a hot potato. He's not physical. He's not getting in on the forecheck. He's not creating scoring opportunities. And I like Max, but I don't know what the hell he's doing. Frazier Mitten is a good player, but here's the problem. They're going to send him back. And when you know you're going to send a player back, and I think the player knows it as well. They might not have told him directly, but you can read between the lines. You're playing, you're, you're not creating cohesion because you know that player is going to be gone in a week and a half. He's going to be back in Kamloops, and you're going to be looking for a new third-line center. David Camp is a fourth-line center. He's nothing more than that. That fourth line for the Toronto Maple Leafs with Reeves and Camp and Gregor, thank God for Gregor, but he's been promoted. That fourth line has created nothing. They get hemmed in, in their own zone. Reeves is loved because he's fought a few people. Great. When he's not fighting anybody, he's useless. Mitten is solid in his own zone. He doesn't make big mistakes, but he doesn't take any chances either. Yarn Crocus is just there. Again, it's four games, but it's four games of your bottom lines giving you nothing. I think Noah Gregor deserves an opportunity to get a look on that third line at the very least. He's played hard in his first four games. He's created, he's at least scored a goal. And he's dangerous when he's on the ice. I can't say the same 
for Yarncroak or for Max Domi, quite frankly. If Minton's going to go, which he's going to, and Pontus Holmberg, who's in the American League, is going to replace him, they're kind of the same player. So I don't see a whole lot of more offensive uh, you know, wherewithal come with him. He's the same kind of player, except he's not as tall and he doesn't have as big a stick. He'll come in, you'll be a third-line center, win face-offs, but he's kind of like a fourth-line center, so then you have Camp and him kind of vying for the same position and not being a third-line center playing on the team as a third-line center. So then the conversation returns to, well, do you put William Nylander at center ice? Do you try it because he's been so good and he's been better on the forecheck and he's getting into those dirty airs more than he ever has? And you call up Nick Robertson and you put him on the wing and he gets his 18th look at being an NHL player. That might be what they do. Because he's got, I think he's got five points in the American League to start the year, Nick Robertson. So he's had a hot start down there and he's looked good. That's what the least beat writers say anyway. People that just love Nick Robertson. The beat writers and my mother. Favorite world junior player ever. But. Yeah. I, to me, they just, they don't have, you, you see those two lines. They come out, they play hard, they get scoring opportunities. Those other two lines, it's 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 either you're 50-50 against the opposition or they're, more times than not, they're beating you when it comes to just being on the ice, being creative, getting scoring opportunities, and working harder. Not to mention you pair that with the Maple Leafs who don't value the puck. The amount of times last night, they just throw the puck in the middle of the neutral zone. It's a Lilligren-Klingberg uh, special. Let's just throw it in the middle of the neutral zone, middle of the center ice, and hope for the best. Because we can't make a play. We can't connect the pass out of our own zone. So let's do the, do this stupidity. Not going to work ever. So they have some holes. Not a perfect team. But like I said, you're looking at the rest, and you go – these teams aren't very good either, precisely. That's what gives them hope. Tampa has holes. Bottom of their defense, not very good. They don't have Vasilevsky until Christmas. Problematic. You lost to Florida last night. We don't have Montour. We don't have Ekblad until Christmas. And until Spencer Knight can return to form, Florida really doesn't have a backup goaltender. So Bobrovsky has to play every game can be a problem. Ottawa. Young group. Josh Norris is back. We're stoked. We love Timmy Stutes. My guy. Giroux. Brady Kachuk's been great. We love our defense. Ottawa could be the X factor. They can be a very good team. Corpus Allo is a big part of that. Can he make the saves? Can he be a number one goaltender? Can he stay healthy? Can he just be adequate for a goaltender in Ottawa because they haven't had it in forever? Because I think their defenses look really good. They move the puck really efficiently. They use their defense in the offensive zone, 
which fewer and fewer teams do. They have defensemen who actually have good shots from the point, which is nice. So they could be your scary group. They're ahead of the Buffalo Sabres at this point. I was telling my friend who's an Ottawa Senators fan, your team's good. I think Buffalo's a good team as well, but Ottawa's farther ahead in the in the progression. From tank slash rebuild to playoff slash contending. Ottawa's ahead of, of Buffalo. Buffalo's still searching for goaltending. I still think they're searching for better players in the bottom of their lineup. You love Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins. Oh, he had a he had a game last night for the Sabres. Losing effort, but he played fantastic. You got some guys. You got some good players that can make an impact and, and be a force, certainly. But Ottawa's got a little bit more at this point. A little more to give, to show. That's kind of the NHL over the last little while. Bedard still looks good. Didn't get a point last night. They got swept, they got shut out by Colorado. Dallas gets another win. I talked about that. This weekend, we get two games tonight. Flames at the Blue Jackets. Devils, Islanders. Islanders still undefeated, quietly. Red Wings, Senators tomorrow afternoon. Both teams 3-1. and one. Alex DeBrincat has been absolutely phenomenal for Detroit. He's lighting up the score sheet. So is the Senators. They're both averaging over four goals a game to start the year. Maple Leafs, Lightning tomorrow night. Golden uh, Golden Knights, Blackhawks. Connor Bedard finally gets to make his home opener. And lucky for them, they get the best team in the league. See, Hurricanes, Avs tomorrow. That's a fun game. Good game. Jets, Oilers, Bruins, Kings, as I talked about. Tough news for Kirby Doc. As he's out for the year, torn ACL, torn MCL. Oh, it's just horrible. I didn't want to see that. He played so good on opening night. He was the best player on the ice for either team. He's now done. Caden Gooley may have broke his wrist. So Montreal, a team that's already light with talent, got even lighter because they lose two of the most important pieces to their team. I have some thoughts on the Arizona Coyotes, but I'm going to save those. Save those hotter takes for later on. Because I think they're actually a decent team. And I think they might have a decent year. Maybe be better than a few teams in the Central. Could they be better than Winnipeg at the end of the year? Could they be better than St. Louis at the end of the year? I wouldn't rule it out. Logan Cooley could be the Calder Trophy winner. So we'll talk about Arizona next week. They got the Ducks tomorrow afternoon. Little 5 o'clock start. And congrats to Leo Carlson. First career game, first career goal last night for the Anaheim Ducks in a losing effort to the Dallas Stars. This weekend... UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. 
We were scheduled Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira 2 for the lightweight title. Charles Oliveira gets hurt in sparring. He has to pull out of the fight. 11 days notice, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion of the world, steps in to fight Islam for the second time. First fight back in February in Perth. Islam winning via split decision. Volk comes in as the plus 200 underdog. The first fight was the fight of the year, fight of the year so far for 2023. Back and forth affair. I had it three rounds to two for Islam, but it was very, very close. That fifth round of the fight, Volkanovski did not give in. He kept fighting. He landed some big shots, and it was a very close, close fight. Volk obviously does not get a full camp for this fight, taking it on 11 days' notice. He was preparing to fight in January against Ilya Teporia to, to defend his 145-pound title, but he wants to be a double champion. Islam, you could argue, is the best wrestler in the entire UFC but Volkanovski was so good in the first fight, he did. He was never in a position where he was worried about being submitted by Islam. He blocked him. He laughed when he was on his back. And even he stopped a, a number of takedowns in that fight. For this one, Islam is a good striker. He's a much better striker than his mentor, Habib Nurmagomedov. Volkanovski... Is great on he's great any way you want him to be. He'll do, he'll fight with you, he'll go to the ground, he'll stay on the feet. He'll prefer to stay on the feet, he'll prefer to box with this long as they both, but they both can land big shots. I think for Volkanovsky, if he can keep this fight on the feet for the majority, he has a good chance of winning. Because his stance switches, his boxing. He lands nasty body shots. He will wear out his opponent. Islam's use, he, last fight obviously for Islam went 25 minutes. But as it got into that fifth round, to me, he gassed out. Volkanovski has been fighting five-round fights for the last three to four years as the featherweight champion. He went five rounds with Max Holloway three times. Three times. He obviously beat Yair Rodriguez in July. did not go five rounds. But you have to pre prepare all the time. I think the cardio is better for Volkanovski, even on 11 days notice. To me, this is his last crack to become a double champion in the UFC. To me, Volk is probably the best fighter in the world right now, pound for pound. But I'm going to go with Islam to win again. And as I say that, I have trepidation because I think Volkanovski is just so good. But Islam is, is so strong. This is his weight class. He's used to fighting at 155. Volkanovski has to move up to do it. But the first fight was so close. And it all points to Volkanovski losing because he takes the fight on 11 days notice. 
and you think, okay, he's not prepared. Islam had a full camp preparing, preparing for Charles Oliveira. He's ready for this. I think we're going to get another really entertaining fight. And they both say they're going to finish the other guy. So maybe they will be more aggressive than they were in the first fight to get that finish. I, I think in the first fight, I don't think either guy really tried that hard to get the finish. Islam tried to get the choke in, but again, he didn't kill himself to do it. And Volkanovski never, I never really thought he was in a position to finish Islam Mahachev. Islam says after this fight, if he wins, he wants to move up to 170 pounds and become a double champion himself. Fighting the winner of Colby Covington and Leon Edwards in December. To me, Volk's the most entertaining. He's my favorite fighter in the UFC. Because he's just all business, he'll take any fight. He'll take on any challenge. He wants to be active. You can get him at plus 200. I think he pulls off the upset, becomes a double. Even though I, just, I said at the beginning, I go through it and I go, Volk is going to win. He's too good not to win the second time. He's going to be ready for this. Volkanovski. Plus 200 on, on FanDuel, pulls off the upset, becomes a double champion. Co-main event, Hamzat, Hamzat the Wolf Chamaev against Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman, obviously the former 170 welterweight champion of the world. He's lost his last two fights. Tasted this fight on 10 days notice himself, so short notice, moving up to 185 pounds. Hamzat has not fought in over a year since he defeat since he defeated uh, Kevin Holland at the September pay per view of 2022. He was supposed to fight Paulo Costa. He has an elbow injury, so now Usman comes in during grappling work the other day. There was a video of Usman grabbing his knee, saying something popped. He he has a not he's has not had good knees. In a long time. That's well documented. He's talked about it with you know Joe Rogan and others. That is just his knees will never be the same. To me, this is a better fight than Costa and Chemayev. Usman's a former champion. He's a he was a wrestler, NCAA wrestler, a really good one. Grappling, wrestling, he can do it all. Usman, on the other hand, looking at Chemaev, Chemaev really, he had that war with Gilbert Burns, where you could argue he could, he lost the fight, but he, he went to battle with him, they, they fought the hell out of each other. He's incredibly strong. He can get guys to the ground and he submits them. He did it to the leech. He did it to Kevin Holland. He just overpowers them. And he's incredibly talented. I don't think he's going to have an easy time with Kamara Usman because Usman's a champion and Usman knows what he's doing in there. I do think Hamzat is going to win, however. His striking's better. 
Like he's stronger. He gets him to the ground. He can find those different spots where he can hurt Usman. I don't. I think this might be a decision win for him. I don't know if he gets the finish. But I believe Hamza Chimaev and Dana said the winner of this fight will be the next number one contender for Sean Strickland. We could see Hamzat and Sean Strickland in 2024, which would be interesting and a whole lot of fun. Potential UFC 300. Third fight on the main card, light heavyweight tilt, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. Ankalaev has not fought since December of 2022 when he had a draw with Jan Blachowicz. To me, he should have won the fight. Should have became the 205-pound champ, but the ref screwed him. He's had one loss in the UFC. That was a long time ago. Since then, he's gone, ran through the division. Johnny Walker had a slow start to his UFC career, but he's been on the rise. Submitting people, knocking people out. And he recently beat Anthony Smith, which would, you would argue, the biggest win of his career. So two guys that Ankalaev we have not seen in a long time, and Johnny Walker, who's looking for that breakthrough fight. The 205-pound division is in a really weird spot because we're going to crown a new champion next month in New York. So we'll have some, we'll finally have a new champion. Jamal Hill had to vacate the title after tearing his Achilles. So either Prohaska or Alex Pereira is going to win the belt. But you have Ankalaya, who's ranked number two. And then you have Johnny Walker, who's ranked number seven. So Johnny Walker wins this fight. He's in the top five. You look around, Blahovich lost to Pereira. Rakic hasn't fought in a long time. Krilov hasn't fought this year. So you could make a strong argument if Jamal Hill is not going to be ready for the next couple months, which he probably won't be with a torn Achilles. The winner of this fight will be the next number one contender for the light heavyweight title. Because I don't see another name that makes a whole lot of sense. For me, anyway. So you'd say the co-main is a number one contender's fight. I think this one is as well. Because Johnny Walker is a star. People like him. 21-7. and seven. He submitted Cutie Lava. He KO'd Paul Craig. He beats... Uh, he beats Anthony Smith. His last loss was to Jamal Hill. First round KO, the former champion. Other than that, he's beaten the guys in the division that are at, at the top of the board. His coach is John Kavanaugh, who's the same head coach as Conor McGregor. He works out in London, so he has those ties. Ankalaev's tough. 
Johnny Walker's so weird. His stance changes, his body movements for a guy of that size. Walker's a pretty big dog at plus 280. Uncle Ives is really solid in the cage. The, his biggest problem against Blahovich were the leg kicks. His leg was giving out at the end of that fight. I like Ankalaev. I think he is real. I think he's really. I think he's going to bounce back in Abu Dhabi. Give me Ankalaev. Rest of the card, you Alice Croft was this surging guy against Alves. I think Alice Croft will win that fight. Saeed Nurmagomedov against uh, Saeed coming off a loss. He's a good fighter. You get Tim Elliott against Mohamed Mahayev. Mahayev is a minus five twenty. A huge, huge favorite. He's undefeated in his UFC career. Elliot questioned him making weight this morning, so they have some beef already going into that fight. Sarik Dumas, who's a fun fighter, he's on the prelims. Bashrat and Victor Henry, that should be a good one. Trevor Peak coming off his first pro loss will look to bounce back. UFC 294, a very, very solid card. I think you could argue the best card of the year is going to be in Vegas in December. Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, Alexander Pantoja, Brandon Roy Vell for the flyweight title. Rachmanov against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, 170 pounds. Tony Ferguson against Paddy the Badly Pimblet. Vasante Luque against Ian Gary. Announced this week, Josh Emmett. Against Giga Chikadze at 145 pounds. Kichaze is coming off his uh, coming off a win. Emmett's been there for the gatekeeper for a long time. Alonzo Menafield, Dustin Jacoby at light heavyweight. Cody Garbrandt, Cody No Love back in the octagon fighting Brian Boom Kelleher. So two veterans of the sport. That's a solid card. Plus we get New York in under a month. With John Jones and Stipe Miacic finally settling their business once and for all, and Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska fighting for the vacant light heavyweight title of the world. So that's the MMA scene. A lot of interesting stuff. Lots, lot of things upcoming. We got NFL this weekend. Be back to talk about it. Uh, should be back to talk about it later on today. Big win for the Jags last night. They're they're now five and two. You know what? I got some energy. Let's keep going. We're, I was going to do two podcasts, but uh, we're good. We'll have a longer podcast right now. We're going to talk about the NFL because why not? We're here. So Jacksonville this week had some question marks because you had Trevor Lawrence who had hurt his knee last week. You're thinking he might miss the game. Jacksonville ultimately signed uh, former CFL or Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke to their active roster. So he'll make some more money because of that. That's a good thing. But Trevor Lawrence played last night. And I thought he played really good. His teammates around him screwed it up. Three fumbles by the Jags. About three or four drops. 
no cohesion, but yet the Saints were more disorganized than the Jaguars. Derek Carr is losing it on his teammates, yelling every other play. He's throwing the ball a ton. He's thrown the ball over 50 times the last two games, only averaging five yards a throw, which is awful. Chris Olave had seven catches. He could have had about 15 last night, but he couldn't get the ball. Michael Thomas had three catches, but again, not a whole lot of... Kamara had 12 catches of the running back for 91 yards. That check down play was all they had. They don't have any cohesion on the Saints. They don't threaten you with the way they play football. They have good receivers, yet they don't utilize them correctly. Derek Carr is underthrowing guys, and he's blaming them. And I really think you look at the tape, and it's his fault, not theirs. So now the Saints are three and four. The Jaguars are starting off the season slow. The Jags are five and two. They've won four in a row. They survived the London trips. They come back. You beat a division team in the Colts. You beat them twice this year. You didn't have to go to New Orleans, short week, and you win there. And not an easy place to play. Now you're five and two in the AFC. Jags are a good team. I don't consider them a Super Bowl threat yet. I need to see more from them consistently. But I do believe they're going to win the AFC South again. I really like Trevor Lawrence. When they're using their athletes in space, using Travis Etienne more, giving the ball to, to Jamal Agnew, Christian Kirk in space, Evan Ingram is a tough tight end that can make plays. Trevor Lawrence taking off and running when he has to. This team can be dangerous. Absolutely. But they need to put it all together and they need their players to be there for Trevor when he asked them. They didn't have possessions last night. Trevor Lawrence led the team in rushing. That can't happen. But you look at the Saints, three and four. And an NFC South that will be up for grabs all year long. You have Carolina who's 0-6, New Orleans 3-4, and Atlanta's 3-3, and and the Bucks who are 3-2, and and Tampa and Atlanta play each other this weekend. Talk about that first. Atlanta at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay coming off the loss to the Detroit Lions where they only put up six points. For the most part, I thought the defense for Tampa played pretty well in that game. Desmond Ritter's coming off a game where he played god-awful. That's kind of the Desmond Ritter era in Atlanta. You have the weapons, but you don't trust the quarterback because he makes too many mistakes. You love I love Atlanta's weapons. I like their team. But to me, Baker's the better quarterback. Veteran group in Tampa. You have home field. NFC South showdown. They don't fully trust the Bucs because they're only a two-and-a-half point home favorite normally. Again, you get three points for being the home team. They're giving them two-and-a-half. 
The plays delay the points. Tampa minus two and a half. Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. Bills coming off that disaster game against the Giants. Patriots lose a game to the Raiders. I'm going to start off by saying this. I am not betting this game. Both these teams screw me. I had the Patriots last week. Plus three. They lose on a safety as I've talked about. That was just completely infuriating. Patriots play stupid. Patriots make mistakes. So do the Bills. And it tells you how bad the Patriots are that they're an eight and a half point home underdog after watching the Bills the last couple of weeks. The Bills own the Patriots since Brady left. They beat them in the regular season. They beat them in the playoffs. That's just the way it goes. The Bills are going to win this game. No doubt about it. But can the Patriots cover? Bills keep losing defensive players. You lose guys for the season, but the Patriots have lost a lot of defensive guys for the season as well. Who will cover Stephon Diggs for the Patriots? Is it going to be J.C. Jackson, who they just got back from the Chargers? That's worrisome. Mac Jones still in at quarterback. Juju Smith-Schuster should play. He practiced yesterday, so he should be back in the lineup. Again, I'm not touching this game with a 10-foot pole because I don't trust either of these teams. But if I was had to bet, I'd take the Bills minus 8.5. But I don't trust that. Cleveland Browns at Indianapolis Colts. Deshaun Watson was limited in practice yesterday. Here's my thought process on the Browns. The Colts don't have Anthony Richardson. He's done for the year, shoulder surgery. So you have Gardner Minshew coming off a three-interception game to the Jaguars. You just played San Francisco where you won a game with P.J. Walker. Your defense is as good as any defense in the NFL. I would argue it's the best one. So you have the best defense in the league, and you're playing Gardner Minshew and the Colts. If Deshaun Watson needs an extra week, give him the extra week this week. You go to Indianapolis, it's in a dome. P.J. Walker can get the start. You run the football. You don't turn the ball over. You can win the game. Colts are three-point home underdogs, and you still don't know if Deshaun Watson's going to play, so that tells you what they think of the Colts. I wait. I, I, I'm not – if I'm the Browns, P.J. Walker's my starter this week, and Deshaun can come back the week after. I don't know what the hell is happening with him, what his injury is. Quite frankly, I don't care because Deshaun Watson's a total dick. But they play the Colts, then they go to Seattle next weekend. Have him return against the Seahawks, a much more difficult opponent, a team that you're going to need your starting quarterback to win there. With or without Deshaun Watson, I'm taking Cleveland minus three. They will win this game. Detroit Lions at Baltimore Ravens. Here's a line that surprised me. Baltimore's the home team. I get it. They're coming off a win in London against the Titans. 
who aren't very good. But the Ravens had one touchdown and five red zone trips in London. They can't finish off drives. They've been really inconsistent. And what they've been the last number of years is we win one week, we lose the next week. While Detroit has been a well machine, they're five and one. They look like one of the most competent teams in the NFL. They believe in one another. Jamison Williams, Amron St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs should be back. Good offensive line. Defensive rookies on defense have been awesome. Aiden Hutchinson. I don't get why the Ravens are a favorite. To me, the Lions are the better team. The Lions have higher aspirations. So Ravens minus three, huh? I get the Ravens are a good team, as are Detroit. To me, this is the best one o'clock game of the weekend. There's not a whole lot of great. There's not a lot of great one o'clock games, to be fair. But I'm taking Detroit plus three. You can get Detroit as a three point underdog. On the road, I get it. It's at Baltimore. Baltimore's coming back from London. Tough to come back and play right away. I like Detroit to improve to 6-1. They're, to me, they're right up there with the best teams in the NFC. They get a big win. They make This is a statement win for them against the Baltimore Ravens. Las Vegas Raiders, Chicago Bears. No Jimmy Garoppolo, unlikely, and likely no Justin Fields. So backup quarterback action. Unclear who the Raiders are going to start if they go with veteran Brian Hoyer or rookie Aiden O'Connell. The Bears will go with Badgent, their undrafted free agent quarterback. Both these teams are not very good. Devontae Adams is pissed with the offense in Las Vegas. Now he gets another backup quarterback to play with. If I was the Raiders, I would start Aiden O'Connell over Brian Hoyer. The Bears, who the hell knows? He played pretty well in relief of Justin Fields, to be fair to him. But I, you don't trust the Bears. Bears are two-and-a-half-point home underdogs. I picked the Bears last week. They screwed me. I'd steer clear of this game. Backup is just a weird game. Don't bet this one. Washington football team at New York Giants. Daniel Jones limited in practice, but it sounds like he's not going to play. But I've been reading some reports from people down there. It sounds like he's not going to play. They're also without Andrew Thomas, their left tackle. They're also without the starting right tackle and Andrew Schmitz, their center. So their offensive line is still completely in shambles. And Washington, when they want to, have a good pass rush. This could be a field day for them. Giants are only three-point underdogs at home. Last time, Washington was a, a favorite going up against the Bears. They laid an egg. They beat Atlanta last week. I think they go into New York and they get a win this week. They're just they're a better team than New York right now. They're a healthier team. 
They're a better team. Sam Howell's a good quarterback. Washington, minus three. Arizona Cardinals at Seattle Seahawks. Seattle coming off a frustrating loss in Cincinnati where they couldn't punch the ticket, they couldn't score. Took some penalties that DK Metcalf had to comment on. He wasn't real happy. Arizona's been on the struggle bus since their big win against Dallas, not covering spreads, not in games. The big news for them this week, Kyler Murray back at practice, looking good, looking confident. Reportedly, he's going to come back better than ever. He's going to play this year, which is surprising. So, so to me, Seattle, you just came off a loss. You're a good team. I, they're going to be a playoff team. You're probably looking in the mirror and go, shit, we should have beat Cincinnati. We had them, and we gave them the game away. This is where you get your confidence back. You score some points on an Arizona team, Seattle, minus 7.5. Pittsburgh Steelers coming off a bye at the Los Angeles Rams. Rams are going to be without their two starting running backs, no Kyron Williams or Ronnie Rivers. So they signed Royce Freeman, and they brought in a bunch of guys to kind of get carries for them. For the Rams, their passing attack is as dangerous as anybody. You look, Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup have been dynamic together. Rams are coming off a win over the Cardinals. They're 3-3 three and three after six weeks, something I did not expect. Their defense has been solid as well, only giving up nine points last week. I mentioned the Steelers coming off a bye. Coming off their last game, they won a game against the Ravens that they did not deserve to win, but they did. Their offense still has not looked good. They have a negative point differential. Deontay Johnson returns for the Steelers in this game, so they get a weapon back. Rams are a three-point home favorite. Normally, you look at the Steelers and go, okay, I'd like to take the Steelers plus three. They, they, can, they can cover this. They might even go to Los Angeles and win because they will have more home fans there than the Rams. That's true. They will. But a three-and-three, three, a three-and-two team, they're very similar. I think they're just the Rams are better Offensively, you got to look out for TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. They are just monsters off the edge. Maybe Kenny Pickett comes alive this week, but I'm going to ride with the Rams at home. That offense, they can stay competitive for a while. Rams minus three. Green Bay Packers at the Denver Broncos. Denver, one and a half point underdog. They can't score. They didn't score against Kansas City, but neither can the Packers coming off a loss at Las Vegas. Both these teams are flawed. Both these teams' quarterbacks have not played all that well so far this season. I don't like Denver. Give me the Packers, minus one and a half. Los Angeles Chargers at the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) You think this is an obvious one because the Chargers just lost on Monday night to to, uh, Dallas. And I bet on the Chargers and they screwed it up. 
But yet I look at this game and I'm I'm curious about it. Kansas City minus five and a half. Herbert didn't play well on Monday. Kansas City's offense has not looked very dynamic this year or that impressive, but yet they're five and one. Kansas City has owned the AFC West for a long time. They just they know how to do it. They know how to win that division to get the one seed and go into the playoffs and get to Super Bowls. I don't think that's going to change this year. And I'm not even sure the Chargers are going to win this game because I don't trust Brandon Staley or what they do down there in Los Angeles. But I bet on them to cover the spread because these games are close when these two teams play. They're always close. Herbert can keep it there. Sometimes he even wins the game. He won a game in Arrowhead a few weeks, a few years ago. So I'm not sure the Chargers win, but that's not the point of the exercise when you're gambling. I think the Chargers will cover the five and a half point spread. Kansas City may win by a field goal. Maybe it's a walk-off field goal by Harrison Butker. So give me the Chargers on the road at Arrowhead, plus five and a half. I haven't learned my lesson. Brandon Staley. And the nightcap, it's an awesome nightcap. Miami Dolphins at the Philadelphia Eagles. Two five and one teams. Dolphins with the best offense in football. The Eagles coming off a loss to the Jets. Philly's defense leaves something to be desired. Darius Slay did not play last week. He did practice yesterday, so it looks like he'll be in for Sunday night. That's a big return to have to have Slay and Bradbury. So you can put one guy on Waddle, one guy on Tariq Hill. Lane Johnson's a question mark. He might miss this game on Sunday night, which would be, which would be a huge loss for the Eagles. To me, both these teams are very good. I think the Dolphins have the best offense in football. And this would be a win that would be a statement for that team. To beat a team like the Eagles. To send a message that we are here for real. We're not going anywhere. We can go into Philadelphia, Lincoln Financial, and get this win. We're as dangerous as any team in football. Because the Dolphins play the Eagles, they host the Patriots, then they have to go to Germany to play the Chiefs. Tough next couple weeks. Where you will prove who you are. Playing against the best teams in the NFL. Plus, you get the Jets twice down the stretch, which are tougher matchups than maybe initially expected. They have a game lead on the Bills as well. The Bills already beat them, so you need to keep ahead of them in the standings. Two Alabama quarterbacks and Jalen Hurts and two attack of Iloa. This is going to be a tight game. Both teams are good, but I'm riding with the Dolphins plus two and a half. And I think they ultimately win the game in Philadelphia and make a statement to the rest of the league that they are one of the best. Huge game for Tua. 
for this offense. Dolphins improved to six and one with a win on Sunday Night Football. College football, we get some good games this weekend. Penn State at Ohio State. Two undefeated teams, two teams ranked inside the top 10. Penn State's always right there, but they're never better than Ohio State, and they're never better than Michigan, and I believe the same thing this year. Drew Aller's a good quarterback. I don't think the team runs the ball that well. Their running scheme is not great. Ohio State has their, has their flaws. They have their issues, but they win these games. It's in Columbus. Ohio State's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. They will cover that spread. They win this game. Air Force, undefeated, ranked team at Navy. They're a 10.5-point favorite. They will win by at least two scores. UCF at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a 17.5-point favorite coming off a bye. Normally, I'd look at this game and go, hmm, UCF's been on the struggle bus. Oklahoma, minus 17.5. Mississippi State at Arkansas. Arkansas, a 6.5-point home favorite. Coming off a close loss to Alabama, they might win again, but I think Mississippi State covers. Mississippi State plus six and a half. Minnesota at Iowa. 134 Division I programs in, in college football. Iowa is ranked 134th in total offense. Dead last. And yet they're a six and one team. And they're they're favored, and they're going to be the favorite every game they have left. They might not lose another game. They might go eleven and one and have a chance at the playoff, despite their offense being that bad. Minnesota, they get Minnesota this weekend, and they're not good either. They can't score points. It's going to be a low scoring game. I'll tell you what you do: take the under in this game. That's a lock. Iowa's a three and a half point favorite. Iowa will win at home. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. West Virginia, three-and-a-half-point favorite. They're coming off a brutal loss to Houston. They will get back on track and win. Washington State at Oregon. Washington State was hot. They were struggling. Oregon, big favorite at home coming off that emotional game against Washington. They'll be pissed. They'll play better. I'd love to take Washington State plus 19-and-a-half, but I don't trust them to cover it. No. Wisconsin at Illinois. Wisconsin had five points against Iowa. They're without Tanner Mordecai for the rest of the year, and yet they're a favorite on the road at Illinois. Illinois can't score points either, but their defense is very good, and they'll play hard. Give me Illinois minus 2.5. Give me the upset at home too, outright win. Tennessee at Alabama. Alabama, this game was phenomenal last year. It was in Tennessee. Tennessee went with the biggest upset of the year. Alabama is going to find a way to win. Tennessee's just not a good team. I don't believe in them. They hardly won the game last year. Alabama minus eight and a half. Ole Miss at Auburn. Ole Miss coming off a bye, riding the wave. Auburn. Tough place to play, but they can't score points. They just can't do it. 
Ole Miss minus six and a half. Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan State's a 24.5-point home underdog. Oof, how the money have fallen. And they won't cover that either. Michigan, minus 24.5. Clemson at Miami. Two ACC schools, two teams that expected better things this year, but they haven't gotten them. Clemson, minus three. I'm still taking them as the road favorite. Utah at USC. The thing with Utah... Sounds like their quarterback, Cameron Risings, is not going to play this year. He's going to redshirt as a senior, come back next year, and be able to have eligibility to play after coming off his ACL. So it makes Utah far less threatening. SC has played a lot of football. They need a break, yes, but Utah's offense is not threatening without Cam Rising. And USC can score points with the best of them. Their embarrassing loss, USC minus seven. UCLA at Stanford. Stanford, huge comeback against Coach Prime. They're a 17-point home underdog. I like Stanford to at least cover the spread. Stanford plus 17 in the nightcap on Saturday. That's today's program. We loaded up into one show, so we have a longer show today. So I apologize for the, for the long run time. Next week, we'll get back on schedule. We'll be doing a show Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, so we'll get back on it. Just been traveling a lot, doing a couple of different things this week, so I apologize for not being uh, around the podcast as much as I usually am. But there's a lot of sports this weekend. Hope you guys all enjoy it. Killers of the Flower Moon comes out today as, as well. Going to see that tonight in theaters. Psyched. So... In whatever you do this weekend, enjoy it. We'll reconvene on Monday to talk about what happened this weekend. Till then, take care, everybody. This is To The Point.